Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am your host, Doug Winters. My guest today for episode 35 is none other than Dewan Stroud. Dewan is an internationally known florist and event designer, as well as author and speaker. And talking about speaking, since he has so much of a better voice for this than I do, I'm going to let him introduce himself. And this is a conversation we had yesterday in his office on West 36th Street. But you have a great voice. I swear to God, I think it's all that early morning Martha Stewart radio stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she had a morning radio show. Um, sometimes Martha would be on the show. Other times she would have two hosts right. on there. And they would just talk about cookie recipes or Halloween decorations or how to trim your dog's toenails. I mean, it was the, the range of conversation in that yeah. kind of commuting hour from seven to nine in the morning. But I was uh, called on often to talk about holiday decor. I would be there before the Oscars. Uh, how would you decorate an Oscar party? Or oh, uh, again, Halloween. So it was right. just, it was to talk about um, decor and primarily decor in homes. You know, how even right. though we do event decor, how might we reinterpret that for um, for someone's home? I actually noticed in your book, we in the industry know you for doing big events. Correct. And what you talk about in the book is that your business is large events. Yes. But what you want people to be able to do is to take what they see at events and do it themselves. Do it in their home. Absolutely. Home. Yes, it Which is. Which is brilliant. Well, it's we all can't throw a party for 500 at Lincoln Center, but there might be a beautiful look that you could do in your dining room for a dinner party for 12. And right. let's call that the second book because yeah. that's, you know, we've we've discussed that showing a, a large, you know, party and then it reinterpreted for someone's home. Oh, Which I think would be a great. Yeah. That's a great idea. It is. Yeah. It's a little more approachable certainly to people and sure. you know, um Outside of New York How to City. do this at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stars yeah. are just like us. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so you have the most interesting background, certainly anyone I've spoken to in this industry. Okay. Well, I went to school for piano performance. Oh, wow. Then I, then I studied conducting. Uh, I was a choral teacher for a while. Okay. It was, it was, I was always involved in music. Great. And when I And so this became sort of like a natural... Makes sense. Yeah. Well, now you came from. Well, I'll even take it back further. I was yeah, actually okay. a trumpet major in college. Get out! No, and for a very small portion of that, I was a piano performance major. Are you kidding me? No, for for two years, I was in the school Where of music. You? It was actually a school in Mississippi. There was a trumpet player that I wanted to Which uh, study with. Yes. By the way, the Mississippi. Yes, I mean, thank you. On. Right. Well, I'm originally from Alabama, but there was a guy that I wanted to study trumpet with, so I went to school on scholarship as a trumpet player. Okay. Um, after about two years in the school of music. And got more involved on campus. Was he known the the, the trumpet teacher, or was it just known as a teacher? Uh, known as both a performer Wasn't and like a, like, like Wynton Marsalis's dad, you know, who's a famous teacher, something like that. And can I even tell you? I can't even remember the guy's name. I think he was out of he was actually out of the New Orleans Symphony and um, Cincinnati Orchestra, um, and he was teaching at um, at the school. But anyway, all that said is that I soon learned maybe this was not what I want to do for a living, right. and uh, transferred over to the School of Business and Marketing. From there, I was... I then, now, did you have any interest in business and marketing? No. No, <laughs> but but it was something that uh, some a, a mentor uh, at the time just thought, you know, my personality and maybe other interests would be better suited that way okay. and maybe make a better living that way. Right. So, well, for me, that, that's for me. So anyway, uh, School of Marketing, then I was hired and my very first job was in New Orleans as a stockbroker. 
um, oh, okay. for, for, for three oh, so years. Oh, you went from Mississippi? Yep. No, you from Alabama. Alabama so to Mississippi. To college in Mississippi. Right. From there, because it was very close, right. was to hired by a firm right. uh, to work in New Orleans as a stockbroker. Didn't love that so much, but did, you know, enjoyed the firm and uh, was transferred to New York City to work in the compliance department, the legal department. Huh. Um, I'm not an attorney, but I was I was there as kind of a liaison between the, the broker network and compliance. Yeah. So from there, uh, for almost 13 years, I worked on Wall Street in compliance. I headed up a compliance department, and wow. it was. Yeah, I haven't met anybody in our industry who came from Wall Street no, me neither. at all. Me neither. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of alone in that. And of course, and then, Mr. could find Wall Street. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And and yet. Of, of all things on Wall Street that I worked in the legal compliance area is yeah. always a little kind of like everyone kind of you know, scrunches their brows like, how is that possible? But I will tell you this. There's, there's a level of detail that we have to attend to in our business that yeah. we had to on, on Wall Street and compliance, whether it was every, you know, we were dealing with rules and regulations and layers and layers and layers of management and management of brokers and um uh, finance deals. And really what caused me to kind of step outside of Wall Street is, if you remember, years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Ivan Bosky. Sure. And Dennis Levine. And it was, sure. you know, their whole their whole case. Well, uh, the outgrowth of that was... I think that's when the world discovered the world white-collar criminals. Cr- and whistleblower. And whistleblower. And okay. whistleblower. Yeah. Um, it was like, when did you know, how soon did you know, and what action did you take? <laughs> right. And what the, the ripple of that effect for my particular... Um, uh, career or for our positions, me as well as anyone else in that compliance capacity, is that they started, if a customer or a, a client wanted to sue a firm, they were not only naming the principal person they dealt with, a broker or a manager in an office, but they were then naming his boss, his supervisor, his director of compliance, and his president. All oh. stemmed from Dennis Levine, like, well, somebody should have known at some point, and someone actually did and didn't do anything about it. So there were, you know, there were, you know, shifts. So is this whistleblowers or is this HUAC naming names? Uh, yeah, right, exactly. You know, no, exactly. Well, yeah. and they're saying, you know, there are people of certain positions who should take certain actions once they're aware of something. Um, and all that meant was for my company, I was actually being named in lawsuits and arbitrations and SEC uh, things that I didn't have anything to do with. And it was so far removed, and yet it just became so less fun than ever. Around the same time, I I remember reading an article in the New York Times about this French florist, Christian Tortu, was so taken with the description of his work, got a copy of his... Christian Tortu. Okay. T-O-R-T-U. I wrote and actually called his shop in Paris, got a copy of his book, and it was it was kind of transforming because I'd never seen flower arrangements and concepts of that ever before like that. Now, in high school, I worked for a local florist. So I was driving a, you know, a truck and uh, delivering flowers and conditioning flowers, very much the, the lowest man on the totem pole, but that gave me a sense of you know, the flower business, okay. if you will. So I was always interested in it. My Literally wife and I would... Literally touching the flowers. It's sort of like working if you were a restaurateur, you know... Yes. Yeah, no matter yes, what. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. not an, an alien thing. So th- there was already that base for that. My wife and I loved to entertain at home, which we still do to this day, but we would also do that. And um, and I was so taken by this guy's work. Then I'm like, wait a minute, I work for a company and we did small cap offerings. So, you know, we'd raise anywhere at the time two to $5 million for an, an emerging company. So I wrote to this guy and said, you know what? I think we should talk. 
we should raise money and we need to bring it to the United States. So that started, yeah, so that started our kind of back and forth and, you know, months and months and months. 1989. Okay. Um, 89, 90. um, It was just around the time I started. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, right. Wow. So then we, um, that kind of never formulated for, for a number of reasons, but what it did do is it gave me great insight into not only event world, but kind of a larger scope. I mean, to spend the afternoon at Giverny and, you know, to get inspired there for, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for future uh, work was pretty great. And Paris alone is an amazing town. So, oh, so, um, so they flew you out to Paris or you went out to I Paris? went on my own. This was all me doing it on, on myself, dime. on my own dime okay. to see if this could work. To really, I knew I had to bring it so far. So you were thinking of it certain- more as a murder... Uh, as a combination as a business merger Correct. and as an and as, and as a yes okay I was got it That's so great. that didn't quite work out <laughs> um, and actually who stepped in front of me in line was there was a um, was a Japanese company um, who opened up a really large emporium on Fifth Avenue called Takashimaya. And Takashimaya um, offered this gentleman a, a deal, which he took, Lord. and whatever. <laughs> but it was actually my start of looking beyond Wall Street for right now again. Parallel to that was all of this Dennis Levine, Ivan Bosky stuff. Bosky, so yeah. all things were converging, like maybe it's time to just leave. You're miserable, now financially, potentially exposed. So not fun. So uh, For people who don't know what we're talking about, yes, look up, it's not worth discussing now, but look up Ivan Bosky. It's B-O-E-S-K-Y. Correct. Okay, and he was... Not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah, not worth uh, talking about at all. Right. Anyway, so um, so we started the business out of our home, my wife and I. Um, and, you know, I was there was an article about us in the New York Times uh, a couple of years ago of people who've made major shifts in terms of their lives, yeah. from going from Wall Street to compliance. And, you know, there was a quote that they, it was like, thank God I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, because, <laughs> because we started with really no experience, but certainly a great desire and love to do, to do events. Um, it started with flowers, certainly, but out, the outgrowth of that would have, you know, been beautiful linens or creating an environment or building props or sets, and it just grew from there. We, um, we had a business here in New York City on 7th Avenue as well as in New Jersey. So we operated there. Um, and so where's then Little... Little Silver. Little Silver. Yes, yeah, it's over, on the, over near the shore, okay. um, about an hour outside of the city. Okay. And we... Um, we, we started there. That's where we were raising our kids. Right. And, um, and then because it was so close, and I knew certainly the, the business here in New York was much more compelling. Right. And um, better sense of style and budgets and that kind of thing. So we always had two businesses operating. But, because um, in the forward of your terrific book is a, this uh, introduction by, from John Bon Jovi. Yes. Bon Jovi, sorry. Right. Um, and he said that he... Or his wife, Dorothea? Yeah, had, yeah. Had seen... I'm a big fan, too. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> it's hard not Amazing people. Um, yes, and a couple. I, I think he said that Dorothea had seen your work... In a little in a, tea in a, salon. In a tea... I swear to you. This, the owner of this tea salon approached us because we were doing flower work that people in that area had never seen before. And she's like, you know, I'm not making a lot of money, but I would just like to kind of feature your work, like right on the counter where people come in. Well, it's... It, you know, and she was so taken with her work, so we really kind of gave her a lot of value for that, realizing that that was almost a, a shop window, if you will, nice for, for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. many people, so wow. many women. So, so it's Jesus. it was it was there that Dorothea wandered in and saw the work. They always they were so nice to uh, you know keep our business cards there, and then we met them. 
um, within you know the first couple of years of us being in business. And we've been clients, they've been clients of ours, and you know, actually they're dear friends uh, since then. So you do um, charity work together? Uh, we do. You know, John uh, first started with uh, a Duck Flutie Foundation that he was involved with, and also locally. Bon Jovi's were really big in kind of grassroots um, work in that Monmouth County, New Jersey area right, for... JBJ House? Yes, and then, so yes, so the JBJ House... That's a great House, story. What... Can you explain that story? I, I don't fully know the whole story, something except about, it was... My wife was telling me I, something about, like, you go in and you sort of pay what you... What you can pay. What you can this pay. is a restaurant in, yeah. in Red Bank, and they also have uh, New Jersey, and they also have another uh, one. I think it's in the Philly area, but it's going, and you pay what you can pay for a meal. Um, and maybe you decide to work for a day so that you can then bring your family the next wow. night and eat in a real restaurant environment. So it was... Uh, an incredible concept, and we actually they started it. And Dorothea only had access; she didn't have a you know the funds yet to buy a, a property. So a Catholic church was loaning them their little their hall, and so our job was to come in and make this hall feel like a little more like a restaurant, make it something pretty. So, which is we, now what you do for a living? Yeah, well, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that was us working with Dorothea on a certainly a volunteer basis, and it was a real passion project for her, and uh, we were happy to participate. Um, and then beyond that, then uh, John Soul Foundation, which is based out of Philadelphia with, I mean, that's a much larger thing with housing and, um, you know, education Oh, programs. so he does all this? Yeah, he does. Wow. He does. Yeah, it's Good tremendous. I never knew that. So no, that's, it's been, a, it's been a wonderful relationship that we've had with them. Who knew out of, you know, flowers at a tea out salon of, of that, a tea salon. that's a really great. Um, that's a great story, though. I just it is wonderful. And they're, they're such good people. Such all right, so how do you go from Jersey Shore to, to New York. And they, well, we knew oh, you had a place in 7th Avenue. Right? Yes, we did. Okay. Yeah, right. Actually, right near the flower market. And um, it, it, and again, that more had to do with, I know, ultimately where we wanted to go or needed to go. So that New Jersey area allowed us an opportunity to kind of learn. Remember mm-hmm. what I said a few paragraphs ago? Thank God I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. You know, we needed to learn a lot. Exactly. And, um, and even running a business. So it, it allowed us kind of a, a, a place to do so. And then, you know, always keeping a foot here in New York, but then the New York business just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew until it just made more sense for us to shift everything here. So the, the sh- in terms of the business, that was, that's what happened with the shift. It was just the more and more we did and referrals and, you know, making contacts um, here in the city. You, you right. know, one thing led to the other, let's say it, let's put it that way. Right. Um, we actually used to do retail work. You know, you call an order and send your wife flowers, but that was soon overtaken by the event work. It's just, it's right. tough to operate Oh, both so like businesses. you were the original 1-800-Flowers or what? Well, we actually did his wedding. The guy who owned 1-800-Flowers, yeah. No His way. daughter's way, yeah, which was really fun. So That was really fun. So you started that? You basically started No, that no, like, no, we didn't, out? but we met, we met uh, Jim McCann, and we actually, it's just funny you mentioned that, we did his daughter's wedding. Which, yeah, and, and what you were talking about in terms of compliance, you said there's so many rules. What's really interesting is that I was interviewing Bill Spinner yes. at the Pierre. Yes. He said there's not a parade in New York that doesn't go by oh my Pierre goodness. on Fifth Avenue. He's right. Schedule. Traffic patterns, street closures, Pattern, times. Street closure, exactly. Yeah, and, and we have to know that for doing an event on those days. Right. Um, and it's, uh, it's a... It's an obstacle course. It can be. I do a lot of corporate work. Okay. I was doing a party for McKinsey and Company, and, it, and they always did it on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first Wednesday in December they tried to get. Oh, boy. So. Is oh. in tree lighting? Is in tree be? lighting? How'd you guess? Because we've been there. All right. Here's the 
good news and here's the bad news. <laughs> the party's still on. The bad news is it's the tree lighting. So you have to have all your equipment here like by noon. Of course. The party was until 8. Of course. That was insane. It was so insane. I literally had to have an 11-piece band. Loaded in, set up, and ready. By, yes, by noon. You know, we had a similar thing. We were doing an event with Lionel Richie for. Uh, it was a corporate party, but it was he. He was performing, and it was up in the Rainbow Room, Thirty Rock. The load into that building and all those properties on a good day is challenging. On but good day is but you layer street closures and <laughs> and, and throngs throngs of people. Um, they are gathering around the tree. And it's just so or essentially it could be people just waiting online for Jimmy Fallon tickets. Or correct. Years ago, yes. Tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the Radio City Music Hall, of course, is kicking up their show. So, I mean, it's just you couldn't, <laughs> right. you right. couldn't put more people in a smaller area. All that to say is that you know we were having to load in at five in the morning, you oh, know, for wow. the just to get it all in, get it all up, so that there were no complications because they never they never would tell you exactly when streets would be closed. Just right. know they're going to close starting at eight in the morning. So anyway, all that to say is our our glamorous industry. I know, but that's what I wanted people to know. It's like, you know, yes, it's incredibly glamorous. Yes. Sometimes. Yes. But there is, it almost doubles the work. For a number of years, we did events for Universal uh, Pictures for their premiere parties here. You never really knew if you needed to replicate the look of the, um, of the movie or just create a pretty party. Um, but it was, those are always kind of fun times. Right. For like, sure. some, like what was some of the... The very first premiere we did was for a little movie that still to this day has legs on it called Love Actually. Oh my God! That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> little movie. I know. So there was a. It was a quite a premiere party. Oh my God! And um, anyway, so that that started. You know, for a good thirteen years, we worked with Universal. What's happened in New York, sadly, is that you know so many of the large theaters where these premieres will happen right. have been are, are are gone. Either the buildings are torn down or they're they're. <laughs> offices or retailing or whatever. And I was just speaking with actually a guy who does a lot of security for these. And it's just so sad that there are fewer places now for them to hold unless the movie has a budget and a following to go to Radio City. Right. And do the premiere, then go to another venue for a party. Mm-hmm. There just aren't that many. The Ziegfeld comes quickly to mind. That, yeah. you know, it no longer exists, and that's where I know Universal would do a lot of their premieres. So right. as a result, there are fewer and fewer of these parties here on that scale that we used to see. They're doing them out in L.A. Oh, and back wow. to our conversation, too. New York is not an uncomplicated place to do no. an, an event. Um, particularly with with you know what they have to uh, do in terms of you know red carpet and security and you know it's it's a yeah. it's a tough thing to pull off in this it really city is. and California was sort of like literally built around the industry absolutely you know no, it's no, an no, industry no. city yeah and they're kind of like believe it or not I hate this like Mary Poppins recently okay. um, it was premiered in London and in L A and they right. deliberately had to go around New York because there wasn't the theater size and the, the complications of the city in pulling it off, which just breaks my heart. As a musician, we can play in someone's living room. We can play in a ballroom. We can play at Madison Square Garden. We need a sound system. We need to gauge the acoustics. Right. And that's sort of it. You have literally the opposite experience. You take a blank, empty room. Or a room there. Or not. Like fully decorated. Were you a Lincoln Center last night? Uh, or the night before yeah, or something? Yeah, the night before. I saw yes. On yes. And which is the most iconic place. Yes. You know, I, I yes. went to graduate school at Juilliard. Oh, I, mean, wow. I, I know the place very well. And, and so when you take a place like Lincoln Center, or believe it or not, David Geffen Hall, which mm-hmm. is, I'll still never get used to. Yes, me neither. 
What is the thought process? Oh, I can tell you. And we have to, you know, probably more often than David Geffen, I mean, we've done events at all of the, um, the houses there at Lincoln Center, but the one that we uh, return to more often is the David Koch Theater. Mm-hmm. And we, when I speak across the country um, and, and give a presentation, a part of the presentation is here in New York, we as designers have to go back to the same venues time and time and time again. Either it could be that's where the organization chooses to do their event or um, it's a hotel that, you know, it just seems to be the best place for a wedding. Whatever. We're always having to reinterpret the same space. And it, for every event, they always want it feeling different. Yeah, I know we were here last year for this gala, but it needs to feel different. I need my mark on it. I need my, you know, sense of... So, and how we go about doing that is through an, an you know, you reach for an inspiration. Sometimes at the Coke Theater, it's often, it's uh, aligned with some of the ballets that are happening there. So we... Um, I know a couple of years ago, uh, Benjamin Milpied, uh, Natalie Portman's husband, you know, had sure. there was a new piece that he had choreographed. It had a patriotic theme to it, and so the costumes were that way. So we were asked to, which is just, red, white, and blue. <laughs> if you can believe, we did a great job. And at that, uh, a sponsor of that was the French Fashion House Lovain. So we were partnering with them and with some of the set pieces from from uh, Lincoln Center to create the party inside. I mean, that's a lot to work with. Wow. We're doing a gala for the New York City Ballet in a few weeks where there really wasn't a hook and that we you know, have to reach out to some other kind of creative corners to, so to create something. Um, honestly, like there dance was... Theater books, um, you know, dance that? theater books? Actually, no. I found, <laughs> I found a story <laughs> about a... a artist community on the coast coast of Mallorca. And I just in in reading, I was reading, I'm let me look into this. So um, I started reading about the village. I went to pictures of the village and was inspired by Bougainvillea, the the beautiful women and and the architecture. I took that to the, the committee just saying, this is such an inspiring thing because it's a spring gala. So it definitely has to be about flowers and color. Sure. They loved the idea. There were, I forget exactly the choreographers who actually spent time there. I know Anais Nen and... Um, oh, wow. Yes, spent time there also in Henry Miller. Um, so there was a, an artist colony in this yeah. environment that... So you ask, that's the, that was the inspiration no, for, the, uh, for, the, for the party. And they thought that was a great idea. They liked it, yes, because they were absent anything too. You know, they... Right. Um, so, you, yeah, you know, sometimes the inspiration comes from the strangest, strangest places. A lot of travel and, and traveling is very inspiring to me, as well as just looking at nature itself and not to get super corny. But, I mean, I've looked at caladium leaves or coleus leaves, and there's a whole party right there in terms of color and texture. So, you know, HBO is a client of ours, and we do a lot of, you know, post-premiere parties for them. Oh, wow. With those, you know, there was a series called Girls a few years sure. ago that was a Brooklyn-based, you know, sure, it was really? set in Brooklyn. Yeah. And so we did a number of parties with... Uh, oh, that theme is... It was fantastic. Yeah. It was great. And that, so you, you do have, you know, sometimes they serve you up with something and other times not. But back to what I was saying originally, but the Coke Theater, we return to over and over and over again. And it's a space that's 141 feet long, 40 feet high, and nothing. There's not a chandelier. There's oh, nothing. So you really do. You lean on lighting. You know, the layout is about the same. And um, it's, it, it's, it's something to reinterpret each time. 
which keeps you fresh too. It does. I mean, so yes. the word cookie cutter can't. Oh no 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 no, no no Come into your work. No. <laughs> no, no. The only cookie cutter is the is the layout. You know, the number of tables that you kind of set out, or the way the room is. But other than that, we have to paint it a different color. You know, put a different veneer on it for the party. Right. But you don't mean literally painted a different. No, but we have carpeted many, 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 many places. Carpeting is really interesting and it's transforming. And we've carpeted a number of places here in New York City where people would come in, and with the carpeting alone, they thought we did a wall treatment and a ceiling treatment. And actually, no, oh, just wow. we've just erased oh, some really floor. bad, really <laughs> bad really carpeting. carpeting. Yeah, and um, there's actually something else pretty in the room. Yeah. And just lay it, literally lay it on top. Uh, yep. Like AstroTurf or something. Yep. Yep. And then what has happened as of late, you know, if we can talk kind of a money side of it, sure. it's not inexpensive to do that, but we have, um, we've partnered with a couple of organizations that this carpet is just laid down. There's been an event on it for, you know, it's not even there 24 hours. So right. it's really in pretty decent that. space. Yeah. So they've been able to, um, they'll come in, these organizations will come in, take large, large, large pieces, actually all of it out, and then put it into um, oh, Habitat you... for Humanity has oh used it. Um, there are some programs up in Harlem, you know, with um, making rugs for, you know, assisted living places, um, other housing renovations that are going on there, companies. So it's a oh, that's really. Brilliant. So it's not just, it's literally not. Just it's not landfilled. <laughs> it's yeah. not landfill, landfill, but actually there's a second life to it. And wow, it's that's great. because we have to buy it completely brand new. It's laid down and it's laid down in big pieces. My father was a carpet salesman. So oh, wow. I just to <laughs> know about carpet. Yes. But we um, we do look for that, by the way. There um, and that is is there is there a second life to some of the decor that we do. Flowers, for example. There's right. a company that will actually come at the end of the night, take those flowers and uh, rearrange them and take them to Ronald McDonald House or hospitals or nursing oh, homes. That's fantastic. Yeah. You now, can't do, you do work it with organizations that do yep, that? We do. And you partner with them? You just mm -hmm. say, okay, yep. we're done at we have load out at 2 o'clock in the morning. Morning, show up at 1.30 and take all that you can take. And they do. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Like what, for example, like what, what would be the names? If you want to give those names. Sure, the, the, the name for flowers that comes to mind is called Repeat Roses. Great name. It is a great name. And they are, um, what I really love is that, you know, you can wake up the next day and see a social media posting where they've picked them up on site. Then you see a photograph that they're back in their studio reworking those same flowers. And then the next photo is someone standing at the Ronald McDonald house holding all of these bouquets that are going to the rooms. I mean, it's oh, very beautiful. clear. It is beautiful. That and really it's is. very, very clear where those things are going. Um, and the carpet is fantastic. Isn't it great? That is really a brilliant yeah, idea. So some of us have fleet of trucks to yep. move these yep. things. We carpeted the Waldorf Astoria when it was um, right before it uh, closed for renovation. We carpeted three of their ballrooms for an event. There was a lot of carpet. I mean, there are two semis pulled up, but took every bit of that off to upstate New York where there were some, um, it was a, a Jewish community um, of elderly. It was kind of an assisted living uh -huh. Jewish community. And they have recarpeted, oh my you know, um, activity rooms, rec, rec rooms, you know, for like, these people. Eat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is beautiful. Thank you. It's a really, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. You know. Give me five minutes on weddings. Okay. Um, How do you approach weddings? I, I mean, because I know, I mean, both of us doing corporate parties, What's interesting is that you said that there's a committee 
There's always a committee. Oh, yeah. With, with, there is with a with a wedding. There's a with a wedding. And there's a committee at a wedding, yeah. <laughs> for the bride, sure. The mother of the bride. Yeah. The father well, the paying I'll, for it. I'll, I'll tell you what's really, there have been a couple of changes since we've been in business now, Twenty. this is our 24th year. Yeah. What I've seen more is um, over the last few years is that it is a committee. Now, it always started with the mother, the bride, and the bride. They always seem to be the core pieces. But as of late, um, a groom might join in because he really cares about the way something looks or he has some input in the layout of the room or the color of the lighting. Which never used to be. Ever. The ones that I really love getting involved and they really is when the father of the bride gets involved. Oh, right. They only these men are getting involved because they actually have a sense of either style or a sense of what they'd like this room to end Which up is looking great. like. So, so often the father is just the one to sign the checks. Sign the checks, and, and the groom traditionally said, "Oh, all I care about is music." That I will tell you has been a recent change over the last few years, and I love it. I like when those guys show up because yeah. number one. I'm here to say I think there's a freedom in decision making when everybody, when this whole committee is together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that. And it gives us an opportunity to, they're also, most of the guys have really good taste. Oh, really? Yeah. That's yeah. what I, if they're, if they're interested in it, you know, that they, they come to the table with some great ideas, inspirations, and they, it's, it, it's a, a very, it's a different process. And it's, um, it's one where, can I tell you, there's a little more robust um, uh, desire in terms of let's really take it there. Let's really, I was speaking to a father bride this morning who right. we've been working with for, um, you know, several, several months on the wedding. And so we're almost there. We're two weeks out. Right. And he said to me, okay, I know we've been doing this. What aren't we doing? What can we do to just take this? Now, that's a really, it's a nice question to ask me. It's a nice question. And, and it's one that, you know, you just, you see, he's like, I'm doing, he said, my only daughter, I am doing this once. And I really, I just want to make sure there's not a miss somewhere along mm -hmm. the way. The other thing that's happened is just with the cost of weddings that we're seeing that it's not, no longer just the bride's family financially participating. Right. And, and as a result, we see the committee expanding to, let's say, the groom side, like people are all coming together. So to see two families weighing in on decor is also a really lovely thing. It's also lovely because you can tell that the marriage is I agree with chance you. of... I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. You know. I agree. I agree. And I'm sure you see it too with, with uh, you know, the music and... Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's... So that, in terms of weddings, and, you know, in, in, as, as far as kind of the format or whatever, you know, it's, yes, there may be a, a few more casual weddings than we did years before, but still, the, in New York City on a Saturday night, it's a black right. tie, very formal yeah. affair that there people really still want. Like nope, nope, not, not in New York City. Party of the Not at all. Or something, you know? know, when we do weddings outside of the city, either a more casual, more of a dress down, uh, maybe more theme kind of, of wedding we tend to do right. but um, but here in the city it's there's this beautiful classic you know um, event I just love hearing you talk I mean, this, well this thank, you. <laughs> thank you thank you Doug it's really great start. yeah thank you so much you're welcome thank you Doug bye now I told you he had a great voice didn't I Dewan and I both can be found on Instagram he is at simply Dewan Stroud D-E-J-U-A-N and I am at Doug Winters Inc. As always, I'd like to invite everybody to please subscribe to the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as the late, great Frankie Crocker used to say, may each of you live to be 100 and me 100 minus a day, so I'll never know that nice people like you have passed away. Frankie loves you.